Hi, everyone. This is the F1 101 podcast, a podcast for new and old fans of Formula One. And we're your hosts, Brandon and Olivia. All right. So, Brandon, what are we getting into today? What's today's topic? Yeah, one of our goals on this podcast is to one at a time introduce the drivers kind of not just as people, but almost like as characters. Because one of the things about F1 when the sport really sinks in and becomes fun is when a race stops just being a bunch of cars flying around a track, but you know that there's a person in each seat and there's different intersecting storylines and personalities and psychologies. And once it becomes a you know, not to be too corny, but like a human drama in that way. It's really exciting. And we're uh, going to bring a little story magic to one of the greatest Formula One racers of all time. Yeah, we're starting with, and I'm going to begin by saying it, the GOAT, Lewis Hamilton. That's a contentious claim, a controversial claim. But I'm going to begin by backing it up with some numbers. So just real quick, some perspective. Seven world championships tied with Schumacher. After that, it's Prost at four and Senna at three and a few others at two. So really in in a league of their own there. Yeah, he's very comfortably at the top. Right, at at least in in the modern era. Okay, 103 race wins. Schumacher has 93. And after that, you're looking at people in the 50s. Um, Maybe Senna again. Um, What's his name? Sebastian Vettel somewhere in the 50s. So really clearly out in front. And the one I think that maybe puts it away, uh, 103 pole positions. After that, you're looking at Schumacher and Senna in the 60s. So... Right. And that's that a lot of separation. Pole position there. is just pure paste. It's just you going at your fastest. So it's a right. like a really good indicator of just someone right. like as a fast driver. So yeah. Good. Other drivers had their moments and had their flair, and a driver like Senna could pull off amazing things. But for consistency over time, it's really Schumacher and Hamilton, and I think it's Hamilton a neck next length ahead of. Uh, of Schumacher. And of course, with the seven world championships, you know, not to fast forward right away, but that was one controversial decision away from being eight. And even like in Hamilton's like back, if you go further back, it could have been nine with him and Alonso because they were Mm -hmm. so close. So there's, Mm -hmm. there's a couple of times. I mean, if you think about it, Lewis Hamilton could have had nine world championships. He could have. Um, and and it would have been like maybe an unbroken record. He's he's setting some numbers here that might not ever be broken in the sport. Sure. I, I actually I don't think anyone's ever getting a hundred wins. I don't think everyone's anyone else is breaking a hundred wins or hundred no. pole positions. Yeah. He's even like even minor ones. Like this season he will have passed the record of anyone being at a single team. Like the most race starts of, of anyone in a oh, single really? team. Like he's just kind of all across the board in all these big and small ways. Like he's just kind of, you know, shattering expectations. All right, so let's take it back to the origins then. Hamilton is born in a town called Stevenage, which is sort of like the middle of the nowhere, Midlands, UK. Grew up on a council estate, which is sort of like a public housing project to a broken family. Um, Talks a lot about sleeping on his dad's couch. And it's worth pausing about what it means to come from a humble background in a really a sport of privilege and money. Mm. Uh, it costs a lot of money to get 
to F1, even to make an attempt. Okay, what does that mean? Well, it's years of karting, which is expensive. You own your own cart. You're your own mechanic. Uh, Lewis's dad, Anthony Hamilton, is fixing his cart for him, maintaining it, which in and of itself is not uncommon, but that's a lot of money. That's weekends off. It's travel to karting races here and there. Uh, it's who can afford literally things like fresh tires. Right. Um, also, when we're talking about a sport of privilege, it's not just money, but it's also connections. By the time you're a driver in F1, you might not personally have been wealthy, but someone was covering some bills for you along the way. Someone picked you up and financially shepherded you because it's just such a financial outlay over years and years. Um, Another thing that's relevant here is Lewis remains to this day the only black driver ever to participate in Formula One. Uh, And he's fond of recounting an anecdote uh, from the movie Cool Runnings, which he said was his favorite movie as a kid. There's that scene where the Jamaican bobsled team shows up at the Winter Olympics and they haul out some, you know, broken, rattling bobsled that's, you know, sticking together with duct tape and loose bolts and stuff, and everyone just kind of turns their head and stares in silence, like, what do we have here? I mean, just week after week being the only black family at the race with, uh, you know, probably subpar equipment compared to some, and yet, and you can go back and watch a lot of these kart races on YouTube, believe it or not, just wiping the floor with the other drivers. And it's kind of cute. I mean, it's a really nice, it's very wholesome to see these kids just like, try, like trying to uh, just tear each other apart. It's adorable. It is. And actually, even before the karting where Lewis is, is amazing, there's a clip, and maybe we can post this to our Instagram or something, of a, an even younger Lewis. He might be six or seven in this video. And some local British TV crew has come to do a little story on a remote control car club or race or Mm -hmm. something. And Lewis is racing these little RC cars. You know, they're like toys, except the other people racing are adults. And then there's this one little kid just standing with a gaze of pure concentration on the side as his little, you know, car goes around this little dirt track. And he's wiping the floor with all these adults, adult, you know, RC car hobbyists. And it, and it, it kind of, for me, drives home a point that driving can seem simple. It's easy to say, oh, whoever has the fastest car wins. Lewis at Mercedes has, you know, in the hybrid era, which extends the last seven or eight years, had probably, you know, easily the fastest car Maybe that's all there is to it. But this video reminds there's some there is some innate talent or genius just on the level of hand-eye coordination that whatever he was working with at six years old was better than any adult he could run into. Yeah. All right. Fast fast. So we forward, got so. so we got Lewis Hamilton, just a natural born talent for the sport. Totally. Kind of against all odds, a lot of different, you know, financial difficulties, you know, familial 
you know, instabilities and all of that, he manages somehow to rise through the ranks. He gets to Formula One. Uh, he yeah. has like an amazing rookie year. Let's talk. Let's talk about the rookie year because the rookie year is truly outstanding. Rookies do not win world championships. So what's a rookie? Formula rookie one. is like your first year in the sport. It, every team has two drivers, so the rookie is usually paired with a very experienced driver, someone who's kind of you know. I guess the idea is take under their wing and also and I to like teach the younger driver kind of the comings and goings and ins and outs, but also to put pressure on the older driver to perform. And they both try to bring the best out of each other in what is really strangely the only time in a sport where you're a teammate and you are the most competitive or most against each other. Right. It's often said that in, in F1 is a weird, it's, it's a solo sport where you nevertheless have a teammate. Right. Yeah, kind yeah, yeah. Of, of an odd dynamic, and of course, with your teammate, you share mechanics, engineers, a team boss, a whole engineering infrastructure, developing the car, working on race strategy, and yet your nearest point of reference, your nearest competitor, is that teammate because you can measure yourself directly against them because they're racing the same car. So who's his his uh, right so, teammate in his rookie? Yeah. So. Lewis in his rookie year steps into the McLaren team, which is one of the more storied uh, brands, teams in F1 history. Childhood favorite team. Yeah. This one was he like idolized this team when he was a kid. He gets to the sport first year. He gets in the car in his dream car. Right. It's one of the flagship British teams. You know, they had Senna and Prost and a bunch of others. Uh, so he is paired in his rookie year with Fernando Alonso, uh, who had just come off of two consecutive world championships, more or less at the start of his career, uh, finally ending the reign of Michael Schumacher, basically. Uh, Fernando Alonso won those two championships with the Renault team, uh, who was not really seen as having the fastest car. So those are... You know, if if not all championships are quite rated equally, if some are harder than others, oddly, those two early Alonso championships are really seen as as being exceptionally difficult and impressive. Word on the street, Alonso is a really tricky teammate. <laughs> I've heard him do some sort of like kind of some dirty. We're gonna get. We'll do a whole. We'll do a whole episode on Fernando, and there will be a lot to say because his career. There's a lot to try to figure out for. For someone who just won two world championships, the consensus seems to be that Fernando actually should have won more. Uh, but through a mixture of a lot of bad timing with team moves and also maybe a little bit of his own petulance and difficulty, he had trouble sort of finding the right combo of team and car and situation. Right, no, Alonso has his, his own his own storied history. But I'm kind of setting it up that Alonso is this kind of tricky guy, um, and he's... At, at the point, like at a very high point in his career, so there's exactly so. So let's get in, yeah, let's get to the it. The move that's going about to come to McLaren for Alonso should have represented a step forward. In that McLaren should have been a more reliable bet to give Fernando a car where he could keep winning world championships. It just the level of quality and the track record is uh, was seen as a step up from Renault. So. Alonso comes in as a two-time consecutive world championship, and he definitely thinks 
I'm the number one driver on this team. They brought me here to keep winning these titles. Yes, everybody thinks that. Everybody thinks that, right. But the problem with the rookie, Lewis Hamilton, is that the rookie's a little too good. You know, once you're out there and qualifying, it's up to you. You can do as good as you can do. And once, you know, the race has begun, there's really nothing holding Hamilton back. And he ends up basically racing Alonso neck and neck. So there's a lot of tension in the team. Uh, They fail to really prioritize. You know, Fernando is not quite socially embedded in the team yet you know the relationships mm, with right, right, right. the That's engineers with the team boss who i think was ron dennis at the time uh you know it's not that alonzo is kind of more established yet he's more established in the sport but not necessarily as a team so there's a couple times where uh, the team boss or the the race engineer has to radio to Hamilton basically saying, slow down, like Fernand in one race, I forget which exactly it was, but Fernando is clearly out in front by some distance, you know, nursing his tires. He's clearly on track to win this race. He's got it all in control. And Hamilton comes, you know, rearing out of second to basically race him wheel to wheel. And the team has to call Hamilton and basically call him off. But then they also you know, have to find a way to tell Alonzo, like, listen, this guy's faster than you. Um, And if you don't pick it up, like, you know, you're going to be, you're going to, you're going to be looking at the back of his car. And for, and for the two time world champion who thinks he's the man and wants the full support of the team, Alonzo and McLaren never recovered from that comment. Uh, And Alonzo will go on to, to leave the team after just, one year. So so fast forward to the end of the season. The team fails to prioritize either driver as a clear number one driver, which makes it really hard to win the the drivers championship. They both go into the last race even on points. And in fact, they both finish the season with 100 points. But Kimi Raikkonen driving the Ferrari wins the last three races of the season and ends up edging them both out with 101 points. So it's a really frustrating season for all because if the team had been able to prioritize a driver and have a coherent team strategy, there's no way that whichever driver they pick and prioritize doesn't win that championship. I mean, obviously, we can go back in hindsight and maybe, you know, make a bit different decision. But I'm wondering, if if you're McLaren in that position, you have Alonso and Hamilton, you have, you know, a world champion winning driver, and you know you have what is probably a very, very close or the next world champion. Yeah, it's one of the who best you, rookie seasons in the sport ever, for sure. Who would you ever, pick? If sure. you were going to prioritize, who would you pick? I mean, safe bet would be Alonso because you're he has, like, the seniority you kind of naturally give it to that person. You know, a rookie can wait a year. You maybe don't want to strain relationships with your, you know, world champion driver. But I don't know. If you were McLaren principal, would you pick Hamilton? It's tough because even though Hamilton comes in raring to go, because he's a rookie and, you know, though Lewis is, is a driven and serious and competitive guy, he's also... 
I don't know. He's he's friendly. He's professional, especially as you know, just as a kid coming in. I don't think he's trying to rock the boat. I just think he's trying to trying to race. Whereas Fernando is a little bit more prickly. Could have been a little bit more entitled. Uh, and he just he can't take this dynamic, and he he decides that he's done. But who would you pick? With this team? You are the one having to make the radio <laughs> call in. Who do you tell to slow down? In hindsight, you go with Hamilton, but at the time, you have to say that you need to do right by Fernando. I no, I agree. I'm I'm on, I'm on the same page with that. Okay, so at the end of the season, Alonso leaves. Uh, and starts his, you know, what will become a series of sort of ill-timed moves, the wrong team at the wrong time with the wrong car. And he'll he'll have some decent seasons with Ferrari, but he'll ne- he never gets to the top again. Uh, Lewis does end up winning a world championship with McLaren in a couple years. It's just the one. Uh, and then will eventually move to... Mercedes, which is a time as a gamble. Mercedes is new to the sport. Um, there's no promise of kind of what, how, what kind of car they can supply him with. So at Mercedes, he teams up with his old cutting, uh, karting buddy, Nico Rosberg. They've been friends for years. They came up uh, as kids together, more or less. And this coincides with what's called the hybrid era. So Every so often, F1 overhauls the engine and car regulations. It's a challenge for the teams to catch up and adapt to the new rule book. And whoever can adapt and kind of nail those specifications has a huge advantage. And something we'll be talking about as we come up to the current season, 2022, is that, of course, it's another big overhaul. So the cards are really being reshuffled here and... It's a chance for someone who's maybe been knocking at the door to, to get it right. Uh, but anyway, you know, Hamilton has had to watch Vettel win four titles in a row uh, with a Red Bull car that they weren't really ready to compete with. But as it turns out, Mercedes totally nails the transition to the hybrid engine era. So basically having the strongest car really from, I think, 2014, 2015 to, to, still, to still even even last season. Uh, so he just starts winning world championship after world championship with Mercedes. Um, but the similar thing happens again in that even though Lewis wins the first few, Rosberg is not content to be a number two driver, even though they're old friends. There's a lot of tension there called the Silver War. And in 2016, Rosberg will end up winning a title off of Hamilton. Hamilton is hugely frustrated by this. Uh, Rosberg wins that one title and promptly retires. That's in 2016. Uh, But that season aside, Hamilton has won all of those titles uh, since the hybrid era until the current season. All right, so quick recap. A lot of winning. A lot of salty losses. It's one or the other. <laughs> a lot of winning and some no... sal- some salty losses. Yeah. Yes. So this takes us up to last season where, aside from 2016 with Rosberg, Hamilton has seen the stiffest competition he's faced yet. Some of those seasons, 2017, 18, 19, there's really 
no one's close. Maybe his teammate Valtteri Bottas is finishing second. One year, I think Vettel at Ferrari finished second, but was not really a threat to actually win the championship. So going into this last season, Red Bull's Max Verstappen is you know increasingly experienced and is just been knocking on the door, and he's ready to pass through the door. Even though Red Bull's car is probably not as fast, Max just starts winning races. And they have a number of crashes. All this will, of course, eventually be in the upcoming uh, Drive to Survive season, which, you know, we look forward to reliving this story through that. But they crash at Silverstone. They crash at Monza. The lead's going back and forth. Lewis comes roaring back at the end of the season with an insane victory in Brazil over the course of the sprint and the proper race, overcoming 25 places, engine penalties. Uh, no, to, it was a shit show. To, yeah. Season, you know, people will be talking about this. It's one of the best performances season. ever, and that Brazil race uh, in particular is amazing. He wins at Brazil, he wins at Qatar, he wins at Saudi, so they go into the last race tied on points. Lewis really clearly has had the faster car over those last few weeks. And in that race, uh, the Abu Dhabi race, his car is clearly faster too. Max is trying everything. uh, But over time, uh, you know, as the race goes on, Lewis manages to accrue a, a 10 or 12 second lead. Max is trying to hang on, but there's really no way to make that up. But then late in the race, Latifi goes into the wall. There's a red flag. The race is stopped. And the race director makes a controversial decision. They don't want this brilliant, thrilling season, what many say is the best season in recent F1 memory, maybe ever, to end on a safety car. Yeah. You know, going through the checkered flag at whatever yeah. 40% speed with no, you, know, you don't want, you want to end on racing. Not so, only, you know, for all the fans that are watching, all the people in the stands, like to just, to the, you want to end on something that's going to be a real race. Absolutely. Where people are going are flying past the checkered flag and it's winner, loser, whatever it is. Totally. So at this point, Lewis and Max have lapped to the field. You know, they're 50-whatever laps into the race. There's just a few more laps to go. And the race director, Michael Massey, makes a controversial decision to let the lapped cars go by so that they can start the race with the cars in the proper race order. But what this essentially means is that Max goes from that 10 or 12-second gap, which... He was not going to be able to make up. There's just, there's no way. To all of a sudden, Max is right behind Lewis. Max has fresh tires. Lewis has not been able to pit because he's out comfortably in first. He doesn't want to cede track position. So all of a sudden, there's like, I think literally two laps to go. I can, might need to confirm that number. But Max is essentially right behind Lewis on faster tires and there's really nothing Hamilton can do. Max promptly passes him as soon as the race restarts and wins the race and finishes as champion. And though I do think that Max ultimately, I mean it was very close, I do think Max probably had the better season. I think he probably had the slower car, you know, all told. 
And with things like the Silverstone crash, you know, that cost him points. I do think Max is a deserving and rightful champion, but in terms of that one race, Lewis really deserved to win that race. And of course, if he had won that race, he would have won the title. So this is a brutal, gutting way to lose. In the images after this race, Lewis looks like he almost can't believe what's happened. Yeah. Though, you know, he does the required interviews in the pit lane and all that stuff. He's He's got this glazed over look. Uh, and Lewis is such a... Such he's a media polished. polished. Yeah, he's to- coached. Right. There's something scripted. He knows the right way to say. He thanks the fans. You, he does this and this. He hits his mark. Um, but you can tell he's just going through the motions. Like he's he even though he doesn't say anything wrong, you can tell he's like a ghost behind, you know, sort of these relatively canned things that he's saying. So that kind of brings us up. I mean, if you don't know the race, you haven't watched it, you know. Turn this podcast off immediately. Put yourself in a five-minute timeout. Then go watch, you know, YouTube race highlights. Um, but so that kind of brings us up to speed. You know, Hamilton's such a strange and dynamic guy, and we really don't know too much about him because he is, like you say, so media polished. Like he is rehearsed. He's been kind of like in this, you know, ivory tower of Mercedes. Like we don't get a total glimpse of like who he really is. Um, but he does have. Um, you know, in addition to all of his race accolades and his, you know, interesting backstory and history, he is a public figure, like a celebrity. Yeah. As we know it, like millions and millions of followers. Um, He is, I would say he's a little LeBron James of the sport, but LeBron James is the Lewis Hamilton basketball. He makes the most money. He's the highest paid um, uh, athlete. And I don't know, he has like $300 million right now. I mean, I you can feel sorry for him, but like, he's doing all right. right. At the end of the day, he's all right. Lewis becomes basically an international celebrity at some point. And he really embraces that in a kind of modern, you know, kind of influencer, social media, jet setting, you know, socially engaged kind of way and he is thoughtful he is socially conscious he does have sort of spiritual inclinations even that poke through at times but it also it also happens behind this veil of very polished very charismatic uh and it just to ever use a word like insincere seems too harsh but it can become hard to know when he's being genuine and authentic. I don't know. It's almost like like the genuine is inseparable from this sort of person who's lived in the eye of the media for so long and really been adept at navigating the media. I mean, he goes to the Met Gala. He, you know, has some fashion line with Tommy Hilfiger. He's really doing this kind of multidimensional celebrity thing. Which I don't even know what that means. It's like you're not all the way vegan. It's like, I don't know. He he experimented... When in yogurt with yogurt in college, he like you know, just go all the way, just pick a pick a team, um, but yeah, no, he's he's so interesting in that he's so amazing at racing and he's so good at all these different things, and yet there's kind of a there's an incomplete picture here because we don't know fully who the person is. Right. So let's not let that we can 
you know, confidently say we know people we see in the public eye with any sort of depth or clarity. Mm-hmm. But there is something very obscuring about him because it does feel like a, a crafted and curated facade. And the odd thing is that Lewis is what, he's 37 or 38. And he's been in the public eye, he's been the lead star of the sport for so long. And yet that mystery, that sense of for as exposed as he is, do we really kind of know who he is? I mean, he's almost never been more a mystery than right now at this exact Really? I would argue otherwise. I would say that they were kind of seeing the human inside of the image. We're imagining the human inside the image, but we have nothing to go on. And that's kind of the last chapter in the story here is that after the loss i mean he does the mandatory interviews but then he's basically gone silent i don't know if we've had any social media posts he's not actually confirmed that he'll be driving next season he's, he's leaving all messages on red right now he is a hundred he, right. is, he yeah, is off all the silent map. treatment so there's a question is is lewis just refreshing refreshing himself licking his wounds gathering his composure he does get away from the sport in the off season this is the time to do it you want to lay low and decompress fine but we're not used to the radio silence really especially when there's so much to say in a way he could be venting about how much he's been wronged by the way last season ended he could be assuaging our fears saying i'm coming back you know i'm hungrier than ever to win next season and you know go battle with max again he's not saying any of that so the silence gives us an opportunity or it makes us read into it or project into it so something olivia i wanted to ask you is what is the the logic of the silent treatment what's it for what do we try to get when we're ghosting on so i asked this question on our facebook or instagram page and i got a bunch of responses back and a lot of people were really in support of this so i don't think anyone was against it people were like you need to take a little time there's been a lot of sort of conversation around pub you know uh mental health among Mm -hmm. athletes i mean especially this year i mean especially this last two years for everyone you know to be honest so kind of taking that pause and that break at you know away from sort of scrutiny and conversation sure. and sort of anger that to give yourself a space from that I feel people are like really in support but and si- more more so that like he's gotten almost a million followers new followers since he stopped posting <laughs> so that's whether or not they know he's not posting or not there is some a lot of support for this but silence can mean more than one thing it can mean all those very healthy self-care things you just mentioned and it can also be a tactic it can be a way to gain leverage um to extract demands even if they're unspoken demands um, well these are his demands that they that the FIA um, opens an investigation on the Abu Dhabi which race, they've done. which they've done. Um, maybe some reprimand as far as far firing uh, Michael Massey could happen. And depending on the results of those things, he may or may not return. So this kind of leaves it bratty or brave. <laughs> is he being a brat, or is he? This is the courageous and sort of stoic thing to do. My instinct, since you asked, my instinct is initially this was a total teenager locking themselves in the bedroom and not coming out brandon's you know nodding his head 
I think it's like if you don't have nothing nice to say, don't say it. Maybe he needed a little bit of time and he knew whatever he was going to say was going to be either construed or just, you know, said out of emotion and, you know, wanting to be as thoughtful as he is, maybe not wanting to put, you know, all of that rage out there. But as it over time, I think then it became something maybe a little bit nice. Like, have you ever just taken, you know, apps off your phone or just did a phone break for a day and be like, okay, I actually like this. It is nice to have that space. You know, he's on break. I don't know, doing yoga and like the Himalayas or whatever. I don't know what he's doing. Hope he's having a good time. Um, and then it's now able to be used as leverage because people are, are whisperings. Everything's rumor. Nothing is confirmed. So people are just sort of chatting and talking. It's winter break. You're a Formula One fan. We got nothing else going on. Um, this is kind of creating a lot of, uh, a lot of fodder. So I don't know. Yeah. I think it, it started off because he was a little bit pissed and now maybe it's sort of morphed into a couple of other things. Ultimately, we can only guess. I do feel that there was something bitter and edgy and wounded, at least initially behind it. Um, but that's just that's just my own my own reading. Maybe it's leveled out since then. It could be he comes back totally refreshed and ready to go. We'll see. I mean, there's questions. If I hope that he does come back because who knows? Maybe Mercedes nails the new car. If they have the strongest car, he could easily win another world championship, surpass Schumacher, you know, become kind of the undisputed champ. Uh, but but who knows? I have only one final like burning question: is is this the beginning of the end for Hamilton? He's been, as you said, completely unreachable for so long. I mean, it was it was Mercedes or nothing for so long. Hamilton was the one, the winner for so long. And then this year, we've seen a little kink in the armor, a little bit of a chance where someone can take, can nick their first world championship off of him. There's a couple of new people coming up. Um, does Hamilton hang on? I prob- my thinking would be he if he wins one more year he can probably comfortably leave um it's a lot to travel every weekend and to be completely at the mercy of all all these regulations and rules and you know maybe he's over a little bit i can't speak to that definitely is is this the beginning of the end or no is he just gonna like hit back hard yes it's the it's the beginning of the end the end you know, as a part of the story, may still last another couple seasons. But yes, this is the beginning of the end. I think from here on out, he looks for his way out. I mean, there's some small chance he doesn't come back next year. I think that he probably will, even though he hasn't uh, settled our nerves about that. But I think it's the end in the sense that from here on out, he looks for a way out. He looks for an ending that he can accept. If he can win one more title and exit on that note, I think he takes that opportunity. Maybe he chases that ending that he wants for another couple seasons uh, and then relents if he doesn't get it. But yes, I think we're in the end stage now. I think that 
the Hamilton dominance, you know, it didn't survive this year and, and it can't survive forever. There's this whole crop of drivers now who are, you know, between 21, 22 and 25, you know, basically between Lando Norris at the younger end and slightly older drivers like uh, Max and Carlos Sainz and Pierre Gasly, uh, maybe a, a couple years older. But uh, and of course, his new teammate, George Russell, is included in that generation and that generation's ready to to have their time, um, and arguably with the Max Championship, their time is now. Yeah, I think that the next season will be really interesting to see. You know, again, you know, obviously how all the the cars turn out, how people are adapting to new regulations and standards, but I would really be interested, and I kind of am also rooting for the Russells and the Signs and Leclerc's and the Landos to really put the pressure on and, you know, see if they, you know, can have their time in the sun. Yeah. All right, guys. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, coming up soon, we're going to do some vac- vacation off-season recaps. Olivia's going to go deep <laughs> on her Instagram research. Uh, then after that, we'll probably do a proper preview and predictions for the upcoming season. So Yeah, this was so a little stay more tuned. like a... This was more research heavy. There was a lot of stats and numbers. We're, you know, we're trying to, you know, we're, get, we're trying to bring bring some of these people to life. Yeah, we're gonna, and we're, we'll be getting to more drivers, kind of one at a time as we as we go along here. Yeah, but we'll get into some more more fun stuff. I'm gonna kind of take the reins next episode, and we're gonna have a little, we're gonna make it a party. So come and join us then. All right, bye. <laughs>